Hello and welcome back to Fast Charge, the Tech Advisor podcast. I am your host, Dom, joined this week by Lewis Hello. and Aniron. We are missing a toddy this week. He has gone on holiday, the lucky bugger. So he's not here today. He won't be here next week either. But he'll be back after that, just in time for some sort of awful Black Friday special we'll inevitably have to do on the day before that all happens. Uh, Until then, though, there is still some tech news. Little bits and pieces we are dragging out uh, of the tech industry. No one's really announcing an awful lot at the moment, but we have some bits. So our main story today is an actual phone launch, the Poco M4 Pro 5G. Um, which is obviously a new budget phone. If you know Poco, that will be no surprise. It's a bit of an odd phone, though, so there is some interesting stuff to talk about there, especially when we get to the cameras, and you will see what I mean once we get to it. Uh, Second, we've got Aniron on the show today, partly to help run us through Windows 11 SE and the Surface Laptop SE. Uh, If you thought Microsoft was done announcing things this year, (laughs) having announced both Windows 11 and a huge slate of new Surface devices, uh, you'd be wrong because they still have these up their sleeve and these are essentially their new Chrome OS and Chromebook rivals. And then finally, we are going to turn to the annual Tech Advisor Awards. We published our awards on the site this week, picking our favourite 10 bits of tech from across all kinds of product. Uh, they're all up on the site, you can go read them, but we're going to talk through some of those choices, ranging from odd things like appliances through to, of course, our favourite phones. So you'll find out what we thought were the best budget, mid-range and flagship phones of 2021. Uh, Right, before we get to all of that, let's run through some other little bits and pieces from this week. Uh, First up, I want to talk about something that's actually a little exclusive we ran on the site today which is that we might have our first sign of what the long-rumoured Sonos headphones are going to look like. Um, So you may or may not know that Sonos, big American audio company, this year acquired what was left of RHA, which is a British audio brand that pretty much went under at the beginning of this year. Uh, But we managed to talk to a source who was familiar with RHA's plans last year, and they were apparently working on a pair of over-ear headphones that were going to be in the sort of £500 range uh, and have some pretty high-end features, including spatial audio and active noise cancelling. And it looked like they were being set up to be high-end kind of AirPods Max rivals, um, you know, even going above the top-end Bose and Sony Sony pairs to sit in that ultra-premium bracket. Um, so it feels unlikely that Sonos bought, bought RHA without plans to use all of the headphone designs RHA had and all of the patents and tech they had. So it seems fairly plausible whatever Sonos is planning could be based on, on this pair of headphones, apparently named Atlas. Um, but yeah, we will see. Uh, go go read that on techadvisor.com if you want to find out a little bit more about what we found out there. Okay, next up, uh, not our exclusive, this one, um, OnePlus 10 Pro. We have, we think, our first look at what the OnePlus 10 Pro is going to look like, and it's pretty interesting. I think it was OnLeaks who shared this render, um, which is based on images he says he's seen of the phone itself. It's an oddity. It's got a triple camera in a sort of wraparound module that curves out from the side of the phone. It looks a little bit like the S21 Ultra camera module, except it doesn't go all the way to the top of the device. There's kind of still a strip 
of the regular rear finish between the camera and the top of the phone, but it does kind of stretch all the way around the frame in this cutout. Um, have you have you guys had a look at this this render? Did you guys see these? Yeah, I had a little look at them only briefly. Yeah. What What do you think? I've, I've, I know they've been divisive. I think this. Week. I yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not enjoying the the general direction that camera bumps are going. They're just they're, they're taking mm. over the entire back of the phone at some point. You know. I'm all for improving camera optics, but there has to be a point where we say, okay, this is camera stuff, like actual dedicated camera stuff. And this is what, mm. you know, this is the convenience of having a smartphone because yeah, it's just, it's just looking a bit busy for me on the back, mm. I think. And I get that. And if it feels um, like it's just always, that's the differentiating back to how you can tell what the new, what the new generation looks like. So all oh, they've changed the camera module when how much has actually mm. changed often, not very much. So we'll see. No. Yeah, I mean, we we don't know much about the OnePlus 10 series yet, but it's worth saying that one of the leaks we had a little while ago was, I think, from Yogesh, uh, an Indian tech leaker, um, who basically said that the 10 and 10 Pro are going to be kind of polished versions of the 9 mm. and 9 Pro, but not really a big leap up. So if that's true, and this design is true, it kind of looks like OnePlus might be doing a pretty big redesign, maybe to hide the fact that the specs aren't changing yeah. that much. Uh, we don't know that yet, so we'll see. Uh, I actually quite like it. I think this looks quite cool. My only caveat to that is it does really strongly remind me of the S21 Ultra. Yeah. And I think it looks better than the S21 Ultra module, but just that familiarity does detract from the way it looks good, I think, because you can't help but just be like, well, it does look good, but Samsung kind of did it first. So thing, yeah. it robs it of something. And the thing is, with, with OnePlus phones in the past, they they do have their own style. They have had their own style mm. in the past. So it's just, it's, it's it kind of, it's, it's in a way, it's sad to see them just kind of being like, well, we'll just kind of do what everyone else is doing now. Yeah, I never you would have previously said OnePlus was sort of derivative in their in their design language, um, but this this feels a little bit. But we'll see. It's just one uh, yeah. one initial render. We have no idea how accurate this is, no. and we will wait and see. And and even uh, on leaks, caveats, all of this with the fact that it's you know based on a prototype, and prototypes change. OnePlus makes loads of prototypes, so this could just be a design OnePlus considered but isn't even moving forward with. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, one other brief OnePlus um, bit of news: the company did announce this week. I know we talked last week briefly about their being a limited edition something on the way mm -hmm. uh, they confirmed this week that that is a pac-man version of the nord 2 um they haven't shown anyone what it looks like yet so we don't we're waiting to find out about that uh but i yeah we know we're getting a pac-man you could already phone. win one <laughs> yeah and there's a competition to win one if you're interested i think they will also be selling it but uh, yeah, if you're interested in that, keep an eye out because I know there is more to come pretty soon uh, revealing what they've actually got in store. Uh, next up, uh, bad news for Steam Deck pre-orderers. Uh, Valve announced just today that thanks to some issues in the supply chain, they are delaying shipments of the Steam Deck by two months, which means it won't be shipping until February 2022 which I can't remember when they announced this, but that's got to be getting close to like a six-month gap between people ordering it and, yeah. and these things being sent I feel, out. Wasn't it August or somewhere around that they appeared? I think it sounds like, about right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's kind of... I, I mean, I feel like people are going to be disappointed because it was going to be the big Christmas present, I imagine, for a lot of people. Mm. You know, coming in December, they're like, oh, perfect. Yeah. Let's get this under the tree for whoever. But um, yeah. now they're going to be like, you know yeah, that, but... that main Christmas present that I got you? You're going to have to wait <laughs> two months or so, maybe even longer at this point. Who knows? 
Yes, so, yeah. a, a two month delay is never good, but a two month delay from Christmas from a December is is mm. always going to be particularly punishing for a lot of people. So <laughs> I'm I'm sure that's been disappointing news for some people. Uh, what else has happened? YouTube. YouTube made a change that it had talked about in the past. Uh, yeah, there we go. Dislikes are not going away, but they are being hidden. Um, in fact, I don't know. Maybe that's the case on this very video if you're watching the live stream. I can't remember when it's, if it's actually rolled out already. But the dislike button is staying where it is, but you will no longer see dislike counts. Um, we, the video creators, will... We will know exactly how many of you hate our new video, uh, but it will no longer be public knowledge, which I think is basically just a tool to reduce negativity. Um, and I think there's, you know, it's often used as kind of weaponized by by fans and people a bit when, you know, say a bad trailer drops or something like that, or there's, you know, reaction to a product people don't like. Um, people often go and purposely kind of dislike bomb YouTube videos, and, and this is clearly designed to stop that a bit. I think it's probably a good move. I, I think it's, mm. you know, I, I always find it funny with this though that they still leave the like count up. Uh, this is you know, great. I kind of feel like maybe just take both away. Yeah, let's just, just drop it from you know. It's it's hard though because you know I do sometimes use the dislikes like to dislike ratio as of kind of as feedback on how good the video yeah. is. If I, you know, especially mm. for longer videos, you know, it's, it's it's all right if it's just a two minute video that I'm watching. But if I'm trying to get into something that's like an hour and a half long, mm. I want to know that a good ninety percent of the people that have watched it are giving it a thumbs up. Um, yeah, and you, you you're not gonna. I mean, you're gonna still see how many people like it, but you don't know what the what the ratio is to that to the people that dislike exactly. it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know the. the there is meaningful information for viewers to know how many people dislike the piece of content and yeah. it's kind of an interesting move to just take that information information away now you're gonna to have to actually scroll down to all the racists in the comments exactly youtube adding more prominence to their comments section feels like a, an interesting move from that perspective uh okay and finally another googly thing uh, the Pixel 6 Pro, the, the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro have kind of popped up in the news a few times uh, this week, which is interesting as phones are already out. Um, there's been a couple little bits around them. One is that the adaptive sound feature from, I think from the Pixel 4 originally, that I didn't realize wasn't in the 6s, is being added into them via a <laughs> firmware patch. Uh, there's also been the hope this week that face unlock may arrive, because there is no face unlock. There's only a fingerprint sensor, mm. which is a bit slow and Dave Google has spoken a bit about why it's so slow and there's been a lot of debate about that and it fundamentally comes down to the extra security algorithms they're running. Um, but people have discovered some code that reveals they were working on Face Unlock 2, they just didn't get it ready in time for launch from the look of things. That's obviously led a lot of people to speculate that Google might still be working on finishing that up. So we may see Face Unlock return to, to the Pixel and, and be added to the 6s in a firmware update. Uh, but actually, the main Pixel 6 thing I want to talk about, which is super interesting, I think, is Android Authority uh, dug into the charging speeds on the 6s and found that although Google advertises a 30-watt wired charging speed and ships the phones with a 30-watt charger, in actual fact, from their testing, the phone never hits 30-watt speeds while it's charging. In fact, the fastest I think it went was 22 and a half watts. Um, wow. You'd have to go read the Android Authority deep dive, but basically the phone does not seem to charge as fast as, as Google says it does. It never gets, it never has that that highest possible power, power draw that is advertised. Uh, and equally, 
the algorithm they seem to be using is very aggressive in dropping the wattage down over time, which is a common you know way to protect battery and reduce heat. Yeah. But this does it so much so that it takes a full two hours to get a full charge on the phone. Um, and they sort of you know charted its charging time compared to a Samsung phone with the same battery size and you know a similar similar wattage in theory. And the Pixel takes far far longer because it just drops to much slower speeds, much faster, never hits the the same peak speeds. Um, and yeah, there seems to be a sort of a way to prevent overheating and, and protect the battery. But it looks like Google has been very aggressive in that yeah. and is in a way very misleading because, yeah, it, the people are thinking they're getting 30 watt charging and they are not. I mean, it's I understand not why, you know, where you want to throw all the ch charging speeds and stuff like that. But at least, A, make it obvious that that's what you're doing. Don't advertise something that's not happening. And B, mm. maybe just give people the option. You know, when they plug the phone in, just be like fast charge or, or trickle charge or whatever you want to call it. And just, you know, because sometimes I do want to get the 30 watts because I'm going out in 20 minutes. You know, I need to get exactly. as much charge yeah. into that phone as possible. I don't really care if it gets a bit warm in the in the meantime. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a bit of a misstep from Google there. Yeah, I think I think what Android Authority spotted is they technically advertise that it ships with a 30 watt mm. charger. <laughs> which of course people then assume this has got so i don't i think technically they haven't lied and they may be you know i haven't done a proper proper research in this it may be that there's nowhere where they claim the phone supports 30 watts they, watt just, it they just say that well the, the charger we're giving you is a 30 watt charger so you know read into you that how you want <laughs> Anyway, uh, right, let's move on to our first proper topic of today, which is the launch of the Poco M4 Pro 5G. Um, this is the latest budget phone from the Xiaomi sub-brand Poco. It is the last Poco phone launch of the year, so they say, um, though I don't really trust them on that. Maybe they're just going to throw another <laughs> one out in two weeks just to keep us on our toes. Um, this is obviously the follow-up to the M3 Pro 5G, which was not a year ago. That was, I don't know, six or seven months ago or something like that. One of these phones does not follow a nice predictable annual release cycle. Um but there we go. Yeah, so this is a fairly solid and in many ways unremarkable budget option. Um, you are getting some familiar specs from the last gen. 5,000 mAh battery, which is pretty generous. 90 hertz display, but it's LCD, not OLED, unsurprisingly. Um, NFC and a headphone jack, which aren't guaranteed, uh, certainly at that price point. Um, new chipset, the MediaTek Dimensity 810 and a charging upgrade to 33 watt charging so this uh very very cheap phone has faster <laughs> charging than the pixel 6 Ooh, and 6 pro that's not good uh assuming it actually hits 33 watts who knows maybe they just ship it with a 33 watt charger <laughs> um yeah but what's really interesting and the main thing i want to talk about is the rear camera which I'm is so an glad oddity. That we're talk about this <laughs> and it's an oddity in a few respects so the first thing i want to say is the caveat that this is like many Poco phones, actually a rebranded Xiaomi device. Um, so this is the Xiaomi Note 11, which was announced last month, and I think is China exclusive for now. It's just complicated with the fact like just today, GSM Arena ran a piece saying that the Note 11 series is now being prepped for a global launch, which is confusing because they've just launched yeah. it globally mm. as the Poco M4 Pro. But there you go. But yeah, if you run, run the specs down, this is the Xiaomi Note 11. They are the same phone. They've just changed the design a bit. All the specs are the same. Um, one of the big design changes they've made is something that I can already tell Lewis will dislike, which is the camera module extends most of the way across the back of the device. Uh, so you've got the sort of 
the camera itself, and then this black box that goes horizontally almost to the other side of the phone with a Poco logo in it. It's... <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, just... it's reminiscent of the, the Mi 11 Ultra. Yeah. Um, the difference with that is that had cameras all the way across there and fit in a little display there. So it needed all that space to do it. This feels kind of like they're trying to consciously echo that design element, um, but cheap. for a phone that doesn't really need the space. I mean, it's also worth saying they're not the only phone to do something like this. I've got um, right here the Vivo X70 Pro Plus, which we spoke about before, which also has this large camera module element uh, that stretches all the way across and just this extra bit on the side next to the module that just is nothing. just, just nothing. extends it. Maybe, I mean, centralize no it maybe. Reason. That might look a little bit better if they centralized it. And then just yeah. had a separate plate just kind of backing onto it. But mm. yeah, I'm just, I mean, yeah, I don't like it. I just, it's, it's just, you know, on every phone that I see, it, I'm just like, I just do not like the way this looks. And mm. I think what's just annoying more, because I'm looking at the graphic that I've got on screen uh, for the live stream right now. And you can see that it says Poco, you know, created by Poco, all that stuff on the camera, uh, on the camera bump. But then they've still got the 5G logo in the corner of the body. At least put it all yes. in the one area. That's just, yeah. Yeah. If, if they used it to just then make the rest of it totally clean, yeah. you could you could see it a little bit. Um, I will say it's probably a nicer design than the last Poco, which had a huge Poco logo oh, yeah. down down oh, the main yeah, the main body bad. of the phone. It was one of those. Yeah. So this is still an improvement. I think. I mean, I actually I don't hate the look and the kind of two tone thing, especially on the on the yellow and the blue where it yeah. really contrasts with the rest of the body. I kind of like it in a way. I don't love it, but I kind of like it. It doesn't work at all on the black one, I think, where, where it's no. the same color as the rest yeah. of the, the phone anyway. Uh, Alex Edwards had just said in the comments, I bet third-party case makers will cover that right-hand section up. And yeah, it's totally true. If you, ever, you know, if you buy a case for this phone, I'm confident it will just cover that bit anyway and only leave the camera, camera shown. Anyway, the more interesting part of this camera module is the actual camera bit. That bit that if you can see on the graphic, if you're watching on the YouTube, you can see there's a big lens. And then below that, there are four, four more circles, one of which is a flash, but the other three are, are presumably lenses. This is another thing that this phone has borrowed from the Xiaomi Redmi Note 11, which is it does not have four lenses, or rather it does have four lenses, but it doesn't have four cameras. <laughs> it has a dual camera. That big camera at the top is real that's an actual camera one of those circles below is real that's an ultra wide the other two are fake one of They're them just purely says AI. cosmetic yeah. <laughs> one of them is just a little AI. circle that says ai the <laughs> other one the? is just a small red dot okay wow. I'm, I'm zooming in on the graphic i've got yeah. to zoom in but this the whole point is that at a glance someone will look at that and be like oh quad camera so fancy so many lenses so high tech uh but it 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 isn't it just isn't that it's really really weird um, that is certainly I, misleading yeah mm. i've never felt so lied to just yeah. at a glance like you know i i think we we all kind of hate the fact that you know some of the more budget phones they'll come with a quad camera setup and it will be like a depth sensor and a macro yeah. lens that are, are rubbish well, enough so, anyway but they so this are is actually it. lenses <laughs> so this is what the what's funny about this is on the last one, on the M3 Pro 5G, you got the main camera and then a 2 megapixel macro and a 2 megapixel depth sensor. So it was a triple camera, one good lens and two, you know, 
nonsense ones. And it's like, yes, I really support them ditching these rubbish two megapixel lenses. And Poco in their live stream announcing the M4 Pro were like, yeah, we've heard you. We know you don't want these lenses. We got rid of them. We've given you a real ultra wide now, wow. a proper eight megapixel ultra wide. And it's like, yeah, that's good. That's really good. But why have you left them on the body? Like, just wow. take it off. It doesn't need to look like a quad camera when it's not. That's so um, bad. I mean, we, you know, we're laughing about it. There is a genuine problem here for, say, people buying this in a store who maybe yeah. genuinely think they're buying a phone with more mm. lenses than it has. It's one thing to kind of have that thing like, oh, when you're carrying it around, people who see you will think your phone is fancier than it is. Sure, that's a silly design choice, but I get it. Yeah. But the, the idea that someone might actually go and see this in a shop and think it's got more functional camera yeah. lenses than it actually has and buy it on that basis is a little concerning, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, this is. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel good about this. It just, yeah, no. it's, 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 I'm, I'm it, unsettled. I really hope this is not something we're going to see repeated. Mm. I mean, this is, in a sense, the second time we've seen it because it was on, on the Xiaomi, the Redmi Note 11 um, or, already. But, and I kind of, I, I, I don't think we spoke about it on the show at the time. I don't think I'd clocked this, this extra lens nonsense on that one at the time when it got announced. Um, but yeah, this is a little worrying. I really don't want to see this happen again. I don't want this to be a trend in the budget space where people start just throwing lenses at, out cosmetically. Um, it's especially because, as we already kind of said earlier, it's one of the things we don't like in the design of high-end phones yeah. is that the backs get taken over by hordes of yeah. camera lenses. It's it's a necessity. It's a thing we put up with to get these camera setups. But it's not actually what we want these phones to look like. So it's so perverse to see a, a phone that doesn't have all these lenses to purposefully choose to have an ugly design covered in lenses because it thinks it presumably they just think it then looks more expensive or something like that um i, I guess it must it must also like put a lot of pressure on the software side so it doesn't have a depth sensor which would which usually enables better portrait those mm. shots so if the portrait mode is not good they'd be like well why didn't you just put the depth sensor on the same with like the macro and like the close-up shots. If they're no yeah. good, they'd be like, well, "Why don't you just leave the sensor on to actually make it at least slightly better?" Seems so mm. strange. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the thing mean... that bothers me most is that I looked at this image for a good while, and I didn't even notice that one said AI and one has a little red no. on it. So, like for everyday people, this is just going to go completely over their head. Exactly. We're, we're, we're trained, you know, we, we know this stuff super well and we'd have to, you know, zoom in a bit to go oh, hang on, wait, those aren't those aren't lenses. And yeah, once you zoom in and you properly look, you can tell yeah. that, but at a glance, at a zoomed out photo, hey, just, it just looks like lenses. I had the same reaction. I'd seen the imagery and then I was reading through the press materials they'd sent me and it mentioned the two lenses and I was just like, well, hang on, what are the other lenses? You know, why, why doesn't this list what those other sensors are? And it took me a while to then realize, oh, wait, they're not <laughs> sensors. There's nothing in there that's just plastic. Yeah. Uh, let's just let's just please nip this in the bud. Uh, I do, do yeah. not want to see this anymore. And it's one of those things that's a bit of a shame because I think otherwise this is probably a, a fairly compelling budget offering. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's very affordable. It starts from 229 euros. And in classic Xiaomi fashion, there's an early bird price of 199 So it gets pretty affordable yeah, for... And that's for a 5G phone Ooh. with a 90 hertz display and... 33 um, watt charging. 33 watt charging, big battery, what should be a decent chipset, the, the 810. I don't think it's certainly not going to be flagship performance, but it shouldn't be bad. 
you know, I think this is a very solid 200 euro yeah. phone. And there aren't really very many good budget 5G phones. There are very, very good budget phones, but not very many very good budget 5G. Generally, to get 5G chips in, they have to make enough compromises elsewhere that the phone ends up being a bit rubbish. This is one of the first 5G ones I look at and I think, oh, that looks like a pretty well-rounded package, actually, for 200. Um, and I just, it's such a shame that I then have to hold this against it and be like, but it's got this stupid camera design <laughs> that's actively misleading and kind of anti-consumer. And, and you know, you don't, you don't want to champion a phone that feels like it's, it's being sold to take advantage of people. No, exactly, yeah. That's, that's exactly what it is. It's just, it's giving me the ick. Not yeah, it. <laughs> uh, and as uh, once again, Alex in the comments says, uh, it makes it feel like they think consumers are stupid. Uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah it, it's you know designed to take advantage, but is equally, it's they clearly just think people are, are going to be fooled by this, yeah. and that's not a great look for any company to, to be looking at its its consumer base in that way uh, and and thinking it can it can pull a fast one on them. So YouTube might have removed his dislike system, but I'm just giving it a big old. Big thumbs down. Right here. Big thumbs yeah. down. Right here on the stream. For that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So nice looking phone otherwise. I think if you are looking for a budget offering, this is not out just yet. Uh, in fact, no, it, it launched today. Pre-orders launched today. So you, you can you can buy one right now. Um, but yeah, just know what you're buying. And it is a two, two lens phone, not a four lens phone. Uh, we do have a review coming on the site. We've had a freelancer reviewing this for us, so I do not know what they think of it yet because we haven't had that sent back into us. But uh, if you look on Tech Advisor in the next few days, we should have a review live with some actual thoughts after testing it, and then we'll know if that camera is any good or not. Um, which you know would would help soften the blow a little bit. But but even just so. a touch. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, right. Let's move on to Microsoft. This week, uh, I think on Tuesday, Microsoft held an event where it launched Windows 11 SE along with a new piece of hardware, the Surface Laptop SE. Uh, and I'm going to hand over to Anirin in a second to, to sort of go into what, what all this is. But essentially, the headline is this is a version of Windows 11 designed to take on Chromebooks and, and Chrome OS to be sort of super lightweight, built for the web, and designed for really cheap and not necessarily powerful laptops. I mean, to put it in context, the Surface Laptop SE is, correct me if I'm wrong, an iron $249. That's right, that's the starting price, yeah. Which is, I would guess, the cheapest Surface thing they've ever yeah, made. by quite a um, Yeah, so this is a, a, a big strategy shift for Microsoft, no doubt with the colossal education sector in its, in its crosshairs, a place Microsoft used to just own and... <laughs> has increasingly ceded ground to, to Chrome OS over the last few years. Yeah. Um, why don't we start with the, with the software side, mm -hmm. Anaren? So what, what, what exactly is Windows 11 SE? And I guess, how is it different to Windows 11? Yeah, that's what I mean. So Windows, Windows 11 itself is, is incorporated. So originally, Microsoft was working on Windows 10X, which was kind of like a Windows spin-off, which was mm. going to be simplified. And then it incorporated many, many of these elements into Windows 11. So it means that now when it's it's making Windows 11 SE, it's relatively similar. Like visually, there, there are very few differences. Um, probably the biggest change is that there's no there's no Microsoft Store at all, um, but the third-party apps are controlled by. So Microsoft has a list of approved third-party apps for education, and then the IT admins, which will then mm. control um, all students' laptops and things like that, then they will get to decide which apps are on there. 
the thing is we don't actually know many of these apps. We know Zoom and Google Chrome are included, but we don't know the full list of apps. So it'll be interesting to see um, how many of the popular ones are actually available. Um, obviously That's kind of the inverse of, of Windows 10 Yes, if I'm getting it right, which was the previous sort of the Windows 10 version for certain like limited power devices, where instead what it was was you could only get things mm -hmm. through through the Windows through the Windows App Store. At least that was the only encouraged thing because if you install things that way, it was only things Microsoft guaranteed would run on your quite on your underpowered laptop. And this, I guess, maybe they decided it was too much of a headache handling that at the Windows Store level, mm. and this is essentially a way of shunting it off to a different different team in the company to say right the windows store gets to be for you know all devices and everything runs smoothly you know and we'll have some in different team in the company that handles these these you know underpowered se devices and, mm. and it's jeff's problem now <laughs> sorry jeff it, it's, it's kind of a shame obviously because microsoft with windows 11 has been really reinvesting in the microsoft store to make it much better and to make it much yes, more appealing yeah. for developers <laughs> they make a bit they made a big splash yeah. about it and now they're taking it away yeah and obviously that now they've got Android apps, which obviously won't be available in Windows 11 SE. And you think there's probably limited value for education, but it would have been nice for them to have some of those mobile apps on there as well. Especially because Chromebooks do do that. Mm. Chromebooks run Android apps. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, it becomes immediately a point of weakness versus Chromebooks. If you say, well, they're basically the same thing, but, oh, you know, it's kind of weird. So <laughs> Windows 11 will run Android apps and Chromebooks were on Android apps, but... The Windows 11 version specifically to target yeah. Chromebooks won't run That's, Android apps. It seems like yeah, it seems like quite a strange move, um, because beyond that, it's really relatively similar. So like the only real other changes are um, probably the most noticeable one is like the new widgets panel, which Microsoft introduced in Windows 11. That's not on Windows 11 SE, especially because it's it was meant to be supposedly distracting for people who was focusing on education, but really it's not going to add, not going to take away from Windows no. 11 much. Uh, I mean, that's fine. I, I immediately remove that from my taskbar on every Windows 11 device I, I, do, I have. So that's I won't miss the widgets. Mm. But. Um, yeah, the only other changes are, look, by default, it will run apps in full screen. Um, you might The snap layouts, the kind of new multitasking features they introduced in Windows 11, that only now works for like side-by-side -side apps. So you can't like have four... Different areas. Okay. Of the so again, I guess that's a recognition of limited power. You shouldn't be trying to run four yeah. windows simultaneously. We just I, won't. I will caveat right here that the maximum windows that you can do on a Mac is two. I still two. <laughs> is is it really? Yeah. Wow. You can only have two side by side that. on a screen. There's no more than that. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. Funny. I hate it so much. But yeah, little tidbit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So so in terms of like. It's obviously launched alongside the Surface Laptop SE, which, as you said, Dom, is the is the most affordable Surface device, I think, since the line launched. Mm. Um, but, but this device and Windows 11 SE is designed for students. It's designed for, like, the K8 bracket, which is students up to the age of about 14. So it's not it's not okay. meant for consumers. So I guess if we were going to ever review it, we would probably be quite harsh from a consumer perspective because I think you would probably say oh, you could spend a little bit more and get a lot better. But yeah. for mm. education, the idea is that it provides, it does the basics and it does them quite well. Um, so it's got, an, uh, the laptop SE has got 11.6 inch LCD display. It's 720p. It's, it's nothing amazing, but it's, it's just decent for running uh, basic apps. Um, it's actually interesting that it's gone back to the 16 by 9 aspect ratio where Microsoft has been pushing like this 3 by 2 on many of its newer Surface, Surface devices. Mm. Um, 
but I guess, I mean, it's got a thick, chunky bezel yeah. wrapped around that screen, so I'm sure that's part of it. They just, there is so much bezel on the top and bottom that they, they couldn't fit a 3 by 2 yeah. in. And the only thing that is in that bezel is a one megapixel front-facing camera, which, my, wow. which Microsoft said is, is good enough to do, I mean, it does 720p video, Microsoft said it's good enough to do like Teams calls and things yeah. like that, but it's going to be really basic and already laptop webcams in general aren't, aren't great. Sounds so. like that's just, that's the line for Microsoft at the moment, isn't it? It's just, it's good enough. Yeah, like, that's what it feels you know, like. It, it'll work. It's it's fine. You know, you're not spending a lot of money. Mm. <laughs> and, and then we've got, we've got entry-level Intel Celeron chipsets. Um, it starts like that. That 249 model starts with four gigabytes of RAM and 64 gigabytes of storage. And, and that's not SSD, that's eMMC, which is kind of slower standard. Yeah, right. Um, I guess that for most people, well, from a consumer's perspective, you think you'd at least need to step up to that um, model with 8 gigs of RAM and uh, 1 to 28 gigs of storage, which is 349. Mm. But I suppose in the education environment, again, it maybe isn't so important. Yeah. There's also I guess what's interesting. cloud storage as well for that kind of yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure they'll push that way. Mm. I guess what's interesting here is there is definitely a, a for all the talk of it being a, a Chrome OS and Chromebook rival, there is a strategic difference here, which, as you said, this is purely for education. Everything down to not just this piece of hardware, but also the way, you know, the way we're talking about the software itself, you know, among the biggest changes are just, well, it's administrator locked, what apps yeah. you can put on by default, which obviously is just, you know, that that is not a consumer feature. And so from unless that changes, it looks like Windows 11 SE will never be a consumer facing mm -hmm. facing OS in any sense. So it's not just like they've done sort of a lighter version of Windows 11 for weaker laptops and we could see a, a market build up in the consumer space for yeah. two to three hundred dollar Windows mm. laptops that, that run a bit more smoothly. Uh, I'm thinking of say the equivalent of like Android Go yeah. in the phone space, which is, you know, Google's what Google built for very basic phones that were underpowered, couldn't run full Android smoothly, so they made this lightweight version for these these cheaper weaker phones but this isn't that this is really just purely they're going for education yeah. um which in some respects makes sense because it is a huge segment and you know it's you know, once you get in a school as a client or even yeah. a school district suddenly you're selling hundreds thousands of devices in one go yeah um but part of the power i guess chrome chrome os and chromebooks have is that they they can do both. It it can be a work device, but you can also, you know, use it use it the rest of the time and, and they they make them more appealing as work devices by also selling them to consumers and having having sort of higher end models in that space. But I wonder if when Microsoft just see that as well, we've got Windows eleven for mm -hmm. that. You know. Think so. Yeah, but it's just—I mean, it's—it's it's fine that w that Windows 11 is there, but it's just the fact that a lot of consumers don't want two devices to do two different things. It's—it's it's, it's mm. convenience, convenience overall. So you know, if it, as it stands, like if you do want something, you know, it's fine if you've got a desktop at home or whatever. But if you need something for work and play, then this is just—it's not an option for you. Mm. Well, yeah. if you're a student anyway. I also what I worry about with this, and I'd be really intrigued just to find out and sort of testing and how it actually runs and everything, but. The way, the kind of stuff they're talking about in terms of how it's been changed, how Windows 11 has been changed for this SE version, there's not a lot kind of talking about how they've actually rebuilt the OS to be lightweight mm. and faster and smoother. It's more just like, well, we took out the widgets panel. Like they've just <laughs> taken out a few of the demanding features, yeah. like like widgets, like the some of the multi, you know, multi apps, multitasking, split screen stuff. 
but it doesn't sound like they've just made the core Windows 11 experience lighter weight and better suited to, to weak processors. Uh -huh. So I feel like kind of a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff you're going to do might still feel really sluggish uh -huh. on one of these because it's still running Windows 11. It's kind of full Windows 11. They've just turned a couple of features off. Whereas Chrome OS is super lightweight and yeah. built for weak processors. Yeah. And so I wonder... I'd love to see a side-by-side -side of, of the Surface Laptop SE and a $250 Chromebook from, from, from around the same release period. I would bet the Chromebook is going to be faster and smoother and boot up quicker and just be a bit more fluid to use because it's built for a slow processor. And this doesn't sound like they've completely rejigged the Windows code to suit slow it's processors like, and It's more like Windows RAM. 11 Lite more than anything. Yeah, no. they've just turned off a few things they know that if you try that, it won't run well, so we won't let you do that. Yeah. yeah. Which isn't the same thing as building something that's optimised, you know, for, for, for what these processors are capable no. of. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because Microsoft has given like some assurances that it will run on these devices with just 4 gigabytes of RAM and 64 storage, but that, like, as you said, mm. there isn't really any evidence that it's going to be better than the comparable Chromebooks. And and it is a shame. And I'd, sorry, I'd be, okay. sorry, you go. I was yeah. just saying it is a shame because there are already lots of um, different manufacturers on board. So you've got like Acer, Asus, mm. um, Dell, HP, Lenovo. All these brands have committed to making Windows 11 SE laptops. It'd be really exciting to see what they could do with one which is a open to consumers buying and b that um, that's that's kind of um, affordable and optimized for running on these low power yeah. machines. I mean, presumably a lot of these companies are just going to take the Chromebook they're already making and do a Windows 11 SE version of the same mm. hardware, right? That would be, you know, most of those companies you listed, perhaps all of them already make Chromebooks. And, and so you could see them just saying, well, cool, we've already built this, you know, we'll just do a, a different software version of this and, you know, change the keyboard so it doesn't have the Chrome button on mm. it. Um, my, my other thought on just on that question of, of how the software is going to run is, I guess I'm just innately skeptical of Microsoft's ability to make a version of Windows that's super lightweight. Which isn't to be, it's not meant to be a big dig at Microsoft or at Windows, because I, I use Windows on most of my stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm not a Mac, Mac OS user. I am a Windows 11 user. I'm a big fan of Windows uh, 11 so far after that upgrade. Um, but one of the problems people have with Windows 11 is it's a new lick of paint on the same stuff. They haven't built anything from the ground up. They're just building Windows up, the same you know code they've been building up for years and years and years. And it's certainly in many ways a bit unwieldy and they're, they're throwing more and more and stuff onto the same, the same foundation. But what you need to build something like this is to start from the ground up with something yeah. that's, that's clean and simple and, and, and thus not, not so demanding. And Microsoft just has shown no interest in ever doing that to windows um and no no suggestion that it's capable of doing that with with windows i also think it's scared about changing things too dramatically because everybody understands the fundamentals of how windows works and it's it's fine for kind mm. of for techies that can just be like okay well this doesn't do that anymore it does this instead i can get on with that but for kind of people that aren't so tech savvy the idea of a, an operating system that looks vastly different from one that they've been using for the last 20 years is a nightmare. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, they've kind of backed themselves into a bit of a corner at this point, I think. Mm. Mm. It, that's what that's what makes it kind of even more disappointing about Windows 10X because it was 
everything suggests that Microsoft had been working on that as like a separate project to the core version of exactly. Windows, and it really felt like it was going to hopefully build something that was optimized for um, for these different form factors. That was going to be for the dual screen device like the Surface Neo, which I don't think, which probably isn't ever going to be coming out now. Um, and there was already lots of third-party manufacturers on board for those different form factors there. So it felt like it was optimizing there. And then it decided to kind of it build. Just kind of chicken yeah, out. Just kind of, kind of, oh, we're going to move some of those features into Windows 11. And as you say, build on top of what was already there. And there's so many kind of legacy elements in Windows from previous operating systems that it makes it. Yeah. You can mm -hmm. constantly, you kind of delve a little bit below the new liquor paint and then you see elements that haven't changed in years and years. Yeah. I also just wonder here, I mean, I struggle to see what the argument is for why this is better than a Chromebook at mm. the same price. And I think the, the closest I can get to that off the top of my head is essentially, certainly say in an education context, where maybe you'd want to be like, it is useful for kids to learn how Windows works, because they're going to have to use Windows in their life. So if you're giving them a laptop to learn on, yeah. it might as well be a Windows one, because that's what they're going to encounter at university, in the office, whatever. Because the normal argument in favor of Windows versus, say, a Chromebook is it can install all these apps. It's got all this, you know, actual software that you install, whereas a Chromebook is almost all, you know, in the cloud and through your browser. But, of course, the point of this is it strictly limits what apps you can install. A lot of them aren't available. A lot of the ones you might think, you know, one of the big Windows, you can get Photoshop on, on a mm -hmm. Windows device. It's like, I don't know if you could put Photoshop mm -hmm. on this. So things like that, you you know, what used to be the selling point of Windows versus Chrome OS feels like it's not here. And yeah, the closest I can get to is that idea of, well, you know, it's useful for kids to know how Windows runs. But yeah. otherwise, I'd say I think this Chromebook is, is probably going to be faster and, and better suited to this this kind of device. I don't know. It's more for the administrator than the end user, I think. Like it's just, mm. I think for an IT administrator in a school, the idea that none of your students could install different software and all these random things on there is just going to be an absolute dream for you because yes. oh. yeah, you don't want them using it for anything apart from what's from schoolwork. And I suppose that is ultimately the thing, isn't it? It's it's not kids making the choice about what they get. It's it's IT admins, and yeah, really the question is, and this isn't the sort of stuff Microsoft or Google are going to front load their their launch announcements with, but yeah, it's, a lot of it's going to come down to just like. How good are the tools for restricting mm. users and and managing yeah, exactly. what people can do on these things? Um, which I I guess maybe Microsoft could win there just because again they have built this to just be for that education use. Yeah. Whereas Chrome OS mm. is for that, but it's also you know consumer devices. You can buy mm. school Chromebooks, but you can also just go onto Amazon and and buy yourself an Acer Chromebook to use. Mm. Um, I did for years. My my first few years as, as a freelance journalist i worked primarily mm -hmm. off a chromebook i just bought a sort of 200 pound maybe 300 pound chromebook and that was my work computer for about three years yeah. see I've, great. I've never used a chromebook to this day i haven't ever touched one i'm i need to know really? what it's, i need to know what the experience is like because everyone you know especially you know over the last few years they, they've really grown in popularity mm. and mm. i feel like i need to yeah get some hands-on time with them I to some extent feel the same in that I haven't used one since that laptop and that was about six years ago. So I, <laughs> I, I know what Chrome OS used to be like mm. and I know it's changed. If nothing else, that was before you could get Android apps on it. So yeah. I've never used one since they added on the, the sort of Android compatibility. I don't really know how that works. This is the thing I'm sure the OS has come on leaps and bounds. When, when um, Chrome OS first launched, it was kind of pitched to me as it's just Google Chrome. 
on a computer. And I was like, well, mm. I, I don't want that. I want everything else that comes yeah. with a computer. <laughs> so obviously with the Android apps and everything else that's come with it, that's all come along now. So, uh, but yeah. It depends on your use case and your budget. I mean, for me at that time, I didn't have a lot of money. A £200 yeah. laptop was ideal. A £200 Windows laptop is, you know, maybe this one will be different. Mm. But in general, a £200 Windows laptop will be unusable. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just not worth buying. Oh, yeah. It's a money pit. We never recommend laptops that cheap on the Windows side because they, they just do not run right which is still my concern here. Um, but, you know, it worked for me because I was a journalist. Primarily, I just needed to get at my emails and access Google Docs. Yeah. And they both work flawlessly on a Chromebook as long as you've got a Wi-Fi connection. Uh, and now that you can buy ones with 4G and 5G in them, you don't even need to worry about Wi-Fi. Yeah. So they make a lot of sense if you're on a budget and if you have specific use cases. Um, obviously, depending on what you need to use your laptop for, yeah. for some things, it, it just will not function because you need to use a specific app that maybe doesn't run on a, on a Chromebook. So that. Yeah. Uh, one final point before we move on, uh, again from Alex in the comments, um, just kind of rebutting what I was saying earlier, but it's a good point. Uh, potentially kids who grow up with Chrome OS may end up using Chrome OS in jobs because uh, his work is starting to use it as well. And that oh, is really? a fair point. Chrome are trying to... I was actually at an event just the other day with a Google representative and they were talking about how they are pushing into enterprise as well. They're trying to push out Chromebooks as, as a job thing. Um, again, because if you're buying laptops for a, comp you know, for, for, for a workforce that they don't need access to complicated software. Yeah, You just need people to have devices for email and Zoom calls or whatever, or, or Hangouts, mm -hmm. I guess. You know, Chromebooks are cheap and have lots of administrator controls, so why not? Mm, definitely. Uh, so it makes sense. So I guess the answer is we need to make sure every kid gets a Chromebook, a Windows laptop, and a MacBook <laughs> so they can learn all three. Uh, we'll see, I mean, see how that works out in the next, the next education budget. <laughs> Right. Uh, let's move on to our final topic of today, which is the Tech Advisor Awards. Uh, we have spent the last few weeks as an editorial team fiercely arguing about some of our favorite tech products of the year. Uh, all of these awards were picked in-house, purely voted on by the editorial team um with with uh, definitely some argument back and forth on a few <laughs> there are a few categories that were pretty like hotly argued actually uh so this is no there's no voting on this from from uh, our, our readers or anything like that this is just what we think all about devices we have actually tested as a team uh and the things we think are our favorites in each of our 10 categories uh so we're going to run through these we are going to start at the end that i appreciate podcast listeners may not be so excited about which is our favorite appliance uh but we are going to build towards our three dedicated phone awards because obviously that is always our priority the phone stuff uh so straight away first up we have our appliance of the year which was the dyson omniglide vacuum uh, none of us three have used this thing, though. I have got, I've got, I've had a couple of Dyson Dyson vacuums before. I've got to admit, this one looks really appealing to me. So this is basically the reason we we gave this our award for the appliance is that it's a genuine shift in Dyson's design. Whereas I think they have for years put out the same vacuum yeah. with a bigger battery, a more powerful motor, that kind of thing, little tweaks and refinements um, and shifts, but nothing radical. This is quite a radical redesign. Um, it's kind of it, it's essentially a vacuum with four-wheel drive, <laughs> so it's it's very mobile. You can sort of move the head in any direction. It's only for hard floors. Is the big caveat. It doesn't work on carpets. Um, but my flat is mostly hard hard floors, so I quite like the look of thing. But it's much more lightweight than they normally are. Much more mobile, um, and our, our appliances editor absolutely fell in love with it. And just thought it was a really uh, fantastic evolution of, of Dyson's design. And if it's a sign that they're going back to really 
thinking about the design of their vacuums rather than just sort of you know churning out run-of-the-mill upgrades that's mm -hmm. a welcome thing um next up we have our, our favorite bit of smart home tech which obviously gets a little bit related um this one we gave to the ring video doorbell wired um and it was editor, it was our editor jim who really pushed for this to be the winner he reviewed this um and basically what it comes down to is it's a smart video doorbell it's really cheap <laughs> it's uh in the uk i think it's 70 pounds yeah. it's something like that so it's below that 100 pound 100 dollar line and that's pretty impressive it, it is a wide one so you do need to wire it into the mains it's not battery powered um but you get pretty much the full suite of ring features in a very very affordable version yeah and i mean and and, and depending on if you already have a, you know power to your door area having the wired option is better than having the battery one because yes, you don't have to charge yeah. it up every because it, it, exactly. they're supposed to last up to six months but if you've if you're in an area like i am where there's a lot of foot traffic past the front door it dies every few weeks so that's just yes. a bit of a pain <laughs> but yeah so wide is not necessarily a, a, a downside just uh more it's a specific use case yeah um but yeah you're getting hd image quality it does all those little things like little bits of pre-recording so once it gets you know is triggered by an event it's actually already been recording for a few seconds before that so you see the build-up to to that rather than just it, the video suddenly starting with someone in frame um and yeah basically the takeaway we had was given the price it's not really a very good reason to buy an, a more expensive uh version no. of this product you know it, it it does so much at that price that there's just very little reason to spend more yeah all right moving on up um we have our tv of the year was the philips oled plus 936 um this was uh, an interesting choice i think because this really felt like the year of mini led in tvs oh, and yeah. a big growth there um but actually we ended up thinking this oled was still the winner even though it wasn't that shift to that new display tech um, it's got a few little Philips perks you can see from that image if you're on the YouTube it's got that Philips ambi-like tech uh, so it's got LEDs on the back of the TV I love which that. glow in time Have you? I've never yeah. used it I think I, I would have hate it on my it. TV I've got a right, okay. ambi-like TV I love it so much I whenever I go to a normal TV now I'm like oh it's so dark I don't like <laughs> this it's, uh, I mean it's, it's better for some things than other things obviously it, better, it works better with like, animations and, and thick kind of colours and stuff like that but yep. when it works I think it works very well Mm -hmm. I I always think I would find it distracting, but uh, yeah, I can see I can kind of see the appeal. I know what you mean. Yeah, for the first I think for the first like two weeks I had it, I was literally just looking at the lights on the outside because I was just like, this is fun and different. But then after a while, I think you you stop paying attention so much to it, you just kind of take it all in as a scene. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, I get and then kind of more natural anyway. Um. Yeah, anyway, so it, very exciting TV. Um, it uses an LG OLED panel. Uh, it's, it's this panel that if you buy an LG set, it's called an Evo panel, but they actually haven't allowed oh, Philips no. to license that name. So it is an Evo panel, but you're not allowed to call it an Evo panel, it's essentially. Um, but it's at 4K, it sports 120 hertz refresh rate, it's got anti-screen burn technology, uh, it runs Android TV in terms of the software, which I think is very good. And it is one of the TVs, and this is a good and bad point, this last one. It has an integrated uh, Bowers and Wilkins soundbar, which I think is great if you don't already own a soundbar. Yeah. The problem with integrated soundbars is if you do already own a soundbar or a speaker setup, you don't want another one built in your TV. Mm. 
just add an extra um, chunk in it. Extra yeah, exactly. Left. Uh, one actual question from Alex in the comments. Uh, 120 hertz. Yes, it does support 2.1 HDMI. I am not certain. Um, yeah, I'm afraid I don't it's have the answer. <laughs> I suspect it does. I know we sort of said it was suitable for, for sort of... It, it's, I suppose it's next current gen gaming, gaming now. Yeah, it doesn't suppose, feel right yeah. calling it next gen. It's no. been around for a year. Um, I think it has HDMI 2.1, but I, I would double check that. But definitely 120 hertz. Cool. Okay, let's move on. Uh, audio now. We're getting getting closer to all things mobile. Uh, this one is uh, we chose the Sony. Just let me make sure I get this right. The WF one thousand XM four. Yep. Uh, they are not getting any better with their product naming. Nope. Uh, funnily enough, just this time last year, we gave this award to the Sony WH one thousand XM fours. But oh, I didn't realize. I thought they changed makes. the number, but they're not even changing the number. No, no, the numbers. <laughs> oh, are, so is... last year, the WH are the over-ears. So last year, we uh, thought their, right, their latest okay. gen over-ears were the best. This year, they updated their in-ear true mm. wireless, which are the WFs. Okay. Um, but yes, so these are Sony's very expensive, high-end, uh, noise-canceling in-ear true wireless earbuds. I think, in a way, this award was kind of a bit of a, a reflection of them being the most improved, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because the, the WF-1000XM3s, the previous gen of these, were great, but they were absolutely enormous. Um, if you if you sort of Google the XM3s, they were big, bulky headphones to fit in all the noise-cancelling tech. And it was sort of like, yes, they sound great, but why would anyone wear them? <laughs> uh, Looked really hideous, looked like they were perilously close to falling out at any given time. And I can only imagine they were uncomfortable just because of the weight of them. Yeah. You know, it, you, you don't want to wear heavy earbuds um, for hours at a time. Uh, they have shrunk these down so much. They're still bigger than your average earbuds, but not by as much. Um, it's much more manageable size, but you're still getting really excellent uh, noise cancelling, really good audio quality in general, uh, and lots of sort of high-end high -end audio features, high-res audio wireless, DSEE, extreme upscaling, uh, and so spatial audio stuff, speak-to-chat, ear detection, ambient sound control. So it's kind of the full bag of features. There's nothing in here. There's nothing you would want from headphones that these don't do, is, is basically where it's gotten to. Um, they are expensive, but I think some sometimes of all the bits of tech that you might spend a lot on for me, headphones are one of the ones I find yeah, I can justify. Yeah. I did buy the second gen of the over-ear Sony's the uh, a few years back, and I've never regretted that purchase. Um, you know, and it was a few hundred, and I hesitated over it, but they were just phenomenal headphones, and Sony has gone from strength to strength in its in its headphone products. I think. So I'm not surprised that went there. Uh, okay, wearable of the year. This, I've got to say, was pretty unanimous. Uh, we yeah. thought the best wearable product this year is the Galaxy Watch 4 and the Galaxy Watch 4 Classic. It was kind of a, kind of a joint award because they are fundamentally the same thing, just in different designs. Um, yeah, we, we were really, really impressed by these. I reviewed the Watch 4, the regular one, and it's... Just a really, really slick smartwatch. The new kind of One UI Wear OS 3 software experience is a massive jump from any Wear OS version I've used before. 
and I would say a jump up from from the previous Tizen Tizen experience as well. Much smoother integration with Android. It doesn't work with iOS, so yeah. it's straight out for iPhone owners. But I don't know that that many iPhone owners would be looking at a Samsung smartwatch anyway. So I think. <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes sense to just like cut their losses there and say, hey, it's not worth the R&D of keeping this running with iPhones. Um, but these watches look really nice. They're genuinely pretty affordable, especially the regular one. You've got to pay a sort of $100 premium for the classic uh, with its rotating bezel. And I don't know that I would. I, I think if you really like that look, I can see it. And there is a the tactility of spinning that bezel is, is quite satisfying. Yeah. But for 100 bucks, yeah, it's the same functionality. I don't know. I like. I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't pay for it, but at the same time, I'm a huge fan of that rotating bezel. It is it, for is for me. It's been a highlight of the Samsung watches for quite a while, and I reviewed mm. the three last year, and I can't even begin to explain how often I would just sit there and just kind of twist the bezel. It's a, as fidget, I was it's a fidget thing, isn't it? It's You're 100%. just naturally fidget. Yeah, and it's just. But it's not. It does. It didn't feel cheap. It felt so nice. Like you know, with with these kind of things, you worry that if you do it too often, you might break it or something like that. But with this, it's just it was solid design. And I'm just, yeah. I don't know if I pay an extra hundred dollars for it, but it's it's definitely one of my favorite features of the Samsung watches. I think a fifty dollar price difference. Yeah, and I would like nudge people towards the yeah. classic. Yeah, uh, for a hundred, I think. It's also an aesthetic thing, to be fair. The the, the regular yeah. Watch 4 is, is more modern looking, it's sleeker, it's smaller. The Classic is bigger and bulkier, but it looks a bit more like a classic, um, you know, kind of Rolexy yeah. watch experience. Does it still and kind of support that's what you go for. the um, navigation and stuff like that with the bezels? Is that still all there with the 4 Classic, do we know? Wait, wait, what do you mean? So like with, uh, with the Galaxy Watch 3, when you twisted the bezel, you'd be able to scroll through all the apps that are along the edges. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it uses things. the bezel for a lot of navigation stuff. On the regular version, they've essentially done a virtual bezel. So you swipe round the edge uh, of the okay. screen oh, yeah. where the bezel would be. And that is how you scroll through oh, everything. Interesting. Uh, which is actually a pretty handy way of getting around that. Yeah, there is one little difference, which is... Um, when you turn on the sort of water mode that shuts down the touch screen, you know, if you're sort of swimming or, or taking a shower or something, uh, on the classic, you still have a way of navigating because the bezel still works. Oh, but on cool. the regular version, you have no interaction with the with the watch at all fundamentally until you turn that mode back off. So that is another small reason to go for the classic, but it's, there's not a lot in it. No. Anyway, really excellent smartwatch. Bodes very well for Wear OS 3 as we see that roll out properly next year. But right now, Samsung is the only game in town. And because of that, it really has to be the best smartwatch right now that isn't an Apple yeah. Watch. And I'm not going to try and make the case that it's better than the current Apple Watches. If nothing else, I'm not the person to try and argue that. I've not used an Apple Watch in years. But setting the Apple Watch aside, this is the smartwatch to buy right now. Uh, okay, tablet... This is one of the ones we argued oh. about a little bit. <laughs> uh, Lewis won the argument. Woo. So, uh, Lewis, do you want to do the honours? Yep. So, our tablet of the year is the iPad Mini. Surprise, surprise. It's an iPad. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there was a bit of a debate about this one. And, yeah, it, it's rolling it. So, it was between the iPad Mini and the iPad Pro. Uh, there are two top contenders. Um and the iPad Pro was a tempting option because it has the M1 chip, and of course that's a desktop level chip. It's not, you know, it's not very often that you see desktop chips in a in a tablet form. Um, but I think what really tilted it was the fact that yeah, it's got all this power, but 
iPadOS doesn't take advantage of all that power. The apps mm. don't take advantage of all that power because they're all designed for A-series chips. So, you know, mm. it will take a good while for developers to start being like, okay, we're, we're going to start making the most of all this extra GPU and CPU headroom. So iPad mini want it out. And I, I love my iPad mini. I'm using it right now to control the, the live stream, actually. It's very handy. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, yeah, the iPad mini, it's been around for years. Everybody likes the small screen iPad. But it got neglected. Let's be let's be honest. It's for the for the past few generations, it's just been an afterthought. Apple's events. It's just like, oh, there's a new iPad Mini with some more storage and a, a still old but newer processor. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever, mm-hmm. fine. Um, <clears throat> but then all the rumors started circulating about a new iPad, and it came. So yeah, it's it's basically it's the iPad Mini. It's the same size as the older iPad Mini, but with a bigger screen because they've ditched the home button. They've given it that overhauled look that's on the ipad air and the ipad pros and it does uh, look very slick that's this is the thing and it, for me it's the perfect one-handed ipad like it just mm. the width of it is just perfect for me just to hold with my one hand and you know it's it's just the grab and go ipad it's it's perfect for that kind of thing if you're just kind of scrolling through twitter and, and stuff like that it's just it's the most portable of the ipads and it's got the highest res display uh in terms of the pixels per inch pixels because, per inch yeah yeah, yeah. Um, small so display that's... but still high res exactly. I mean, it, it's going to look pretty sharp yeah it is really nice um, Yeah, and yeah you got the Apple Pencil support as well the second gen Apple Pencil support which was a really mm-hmm. nice touch um, I think the only real disappointment was it didn't get its own magic keyboard um, but considering yeah. the smaller screen size and how small the keyboard would have been oh, yeah. think, it's so, not as naturally no, suited to that exactly is it? yeah um, um, yeah, yeah really really so good as I said we also considered the Pro yeah. Um, because of the the M1 chip, um, but I also want to do a little shout out to the Xiaomi Pad mm. Five, yeah. which uh, we actually Lewis and I did a video about comparing the, the the Pad Five to the new updated like standard iPad this year, uh, and yeah, the Xiaomi Pad Five I've actually you know fallen in love with over the last few weeks, and I think it's a really excellent Android tablet, and it's been so long since I felt that there was a really excellent Android tablet. That said, I you know could not convincingly make the case to the other editors that it was better than the newly updated improved iPad mini. And I think that's fair. It's, yeah. you know, Apple still makes the best tablets in the world. Yeah. But the Xiaomi Pad 5 is a really welcome sign that it might have competition again. Samsung's always been there mm. plugging away uh, with with its Galaxy tabs, which have been solid and sometimes really great. Um but this is, it's good to see more people. We've spoken before. It looks like a lot more companies are wading into the tablet space. Um, in fact, I think next week, the Realme oh. pad is going to get revealed. Oh, nice. Um, or at least get its European yeah. launch. Um, so we, yeah, I like the Xiaomi Pad 5. It's still, Android needs that push. Yeah. And we're going to get that in Android 12. Mm, exactly. hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe at that point, with hardware this good coming out, and if, the soft, if Google can build the software side up, maybe this time next year, the best tablet is an Android one. Um, yeah. and they're getting closer yeah. previous years I don't know that we, we even really would have been talking about an mm. Android tablet in, in our awards it would have just been like alright which iPad is the best one <laughs> and uh, you know I think it was a good sign that I could at least try and make the argument this is it yeah uh, let's move on uh, laptop of the year I think this is our last non-phone one mm. yeah so the laptop of the year and Nyron why don't you handle yeah, this yeah I mean this was one of the, the closest um, ones he had because on one hand, the one we went for is the LG Gram 17, um, which is, as the name suggests, a 17-inch laptop. It's got it got a five-star review, which is very rare for laptops. And the whole thing about this is it's it's um, a really powerful, big-screened laptop, 
which doesn't sacrifice the design. So it's still got that thin and light, sleek design, which you wouldn't, you'd normally think it would have to be, end up being quite bulky and heavy. This is only mm. 1.35 kilograms. Um, and also in terms of like, there were, there were two, because uh, our reviews editor, Chris, reviewed this one, and he, um, he reviewed the 2020 model, he said that the, the trackpad and the speakers were a little bit, they, they were kind of the weaknesses, but they actually became mm. strengths on the new model. Um, and so it was almost like a complete package. There wasn't really, there was hardly any downsides to it. Yeah. It's another case where they'd improved it so much year on year, taking the few bits we didn't like in 2020's model, fix them, and suddenly you're looking at it like, well, God, there's not a lot mm. to criticize. That's here. it. Um, and so, certainly for a 17-inch, 17 17-inch 17 laptops are almost always going to be big, bulky, and mm -hmm. heavy. And obviously they have to be to fit in that, fit in that screen. Yeah. Uh, it is just... A massive technological accomplishment that LG has has made a 17-inch laptop that is this light. So to put that in context, that 1.35 kilos. One of the runners up we had for this was a laptop I reviewed recently, the Huawei MateBook 14s, which I really really liked. And that's a 14-inch laptop. It weighs more <laughs> than this 17-inch yeah, yeah. laptop from LG. So and that's a pretty lightweight laptop. It's not a big yeah. bulky 14-inch. It's a pretty slim one. But yeah, what LG's done here is just almost hard to believe you pick yeah. it up and it's it's like an, an optical illusion you sort of feel like what mm. like where it is must it? way yeah. more than this what's gone wrong that's the thing i i reviewed the 16 inch model which is obviously you know just just a little bit smaller than the yeah. 17 and that was the first thing that really hit me when i got it out of the box i was like yeah this is it like yeah i just you feel like you've been sent a dummy <laughs> unit by mistake exactly one, yeah one and that doesn't have the components inside and it's just yeah seeing it working like i kept yeah. looking like there's no way that this is doing what it's doing and like it had yeah. such good battery life the performance mm -hmm. was you know were really good for, for for that kind of thing and it, it wasn't you know one of those laptops that overheated all the time so it's just they've, they've really got it right with the range this year mm -hmm. i think it's really yep. good okay. um i think we should probably say on the laptop note we did talk about the new macbook pros here um, because obviously there's that hugely updated design. We've got the new M1 Pro and Max chips. We at TechAdvisor haven't gotten our hands on one of these yet to test, and that kind of is what stopped us from really considering it for the top prize. Yeah. I think we would have gone for the Gram 17 anyway, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Um, but our, our colleagues at Macworld had, have tested it, and we know they have been really, really impressed with the new MacBook Pros, and we're, we're hoping to get one soon, try it for ourselves. But So we've sort of given them an honorable mention, because in theory, we think we really like what Apple's done as a redesign there. Yeah. But you know, we haven't tested it ourselves on the tech advisor team, okay. so we didn't we didn't mm. want to go fully gung ho for that. Uh, and yeah, as I said, the Huawei MateBook 14s I really liked. It's a new Huawei MateBook that moves the webcam back above the screen, <laughs> outside of the keyboard. Really welcome mm -hmm. move. But otherwise, it's actually just a very probably the best all rounder yeah. laptop you could buy right now yeah. on the Windows side. Um, there's nothing really it does badly excellent keyboard really strong performance pretty compelling price point um, very very solid device uh, Alex says in the comments don't lie you hated the notch that is true <laughs> I hated the notch but as we've already seen I don't get to decide all of these awards sadly uh, I haven't established full dictatorial power over the uh, voting system yet not yet so you know all these other weird notch lovers on the team could have voted it up above me Let's turn to the phones. We do three phone awards. We do one for budget, one for mid-range, and one for flagship, because that feels like the fairest way to really separate out uh, the way the phone market is structured. Sure. Um, let's start with budget, which is uh, an interesting one, because we spent the first 10 minutes of this show slightly slagging off Poco, 
Um, but we also think a Poco phone is the best budget phone of the year. Uh, the Poco X3 Pro, so not the M3 Pro we were talking about earlier in relation to the new M4, but the X3 Pro. Uh, the other reason this is interesting is because last year we said the best budget phone was the Poco X3 NFC. <laughs> and the Pro is just an updated version of that. But it's still so oh, good, we yeah. felt we had to give it the award again. Uh, and in a way, I, I wasn't sure because it is samey. They haven't changed a lot in this phone. It's not a big update. Even the design is exactly the same as the NFC model. Uh, it's just the colors have changed slightly. But they put a Snapdragon 860 in a phone that costs about £200. Huh. And I still don't really understand how they do that and don't lose money on every single one. Maybe they do. Maybe yeah, they're burning through it. cash yeah, to sell these things. I feel like they've got to be supplementing it somewhere, surely. Yeah. And it's not its not like it's bad elsewhere. It's not like it's, oh, the chipset's good, but everything else is rubbish. You're still getting a 120 hertz display. It's LCD, obviously, but still big. 6.67 inch, 120 hertz display. And it's a pretty solid one. It's not bad, for, uh, even though it's LCD. Um, camera is obviously not the best you're going to get, but it's decent. 5,000 milliamp hour battery, I think. I think it's 30 watt charging. So these are solid specs and all for a very, very competitive price. It's a bit big and bulky. And yeah, the camera is not killer. But I think if you don't have a huge budget, but you know you want performance, especially say if you know you play a lot of games on your phone, you, you can't afford a dedicated yeah. gaming phone. You can't afford to drop $500, $600 on a device. Like this is going to give you some of the best gaming performance of any device out there because it's an 8 series chipset and 120 hertz display so if it can anywhere it can hit those high frame rates the screen will keep up um and it's very affordable and there's just no other phone at that price with any uh, there's no other phone that gives you anywhere close to the same like performance for the price yeah, right totally. there are other budget phones with better cameras there are other budget phones that look nicer there are other budget phones that are sort of um smaller and sleeker but if what you want is performance, then this just trounces all of them, and by to such a degree that it's hard to recommend anything else. And crucially, as well, all the cameras on the back are actually cameras. So <laughs> they are real cameras. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're not all amazing, but they are real functional lenses. They actually work. So there's at least that. Uh, our mid-range choice is actually another repeat winner in a way. So our mid-range phone of the year this time is the OnePlus Nord 2, uh, the regular non-Pac-Man edition, though, you know, I bet the Pac-Man one's pretty cool too. Yeah. Uh, we gave the original Nord the award last time, so it, again, was one where we hesitated, you know, do we want to give it give it to the well, almost the same phone again? OnePlus didn't change a huge amount this time around. But again, for that mid-range segment, this just felt like it, it ticked enough boxes for us that it was really hard to pick anything else. You're getting a big performance jump from the first Nord. The MediaTek Dimensity 1200 AI here is genuinely a flagship chip. I know it's not a Snapdragon, but if you can look past that, this is the flagship MediaTek chip. It is powerful. It is, you know, in that same performance bracket as the, the 8 series Snapdragon stuff. Um, very, very impressive. 65 watt fast charging, a big 4500 milliamp hour battery, a really kind of slick, attractive design, and a decent camera. Um, the the 50 megapixel main camera on this phone is they they use the same sensor that they use for the wide angle on the OnePlus nines, and it's good. It's not yeah, it's not a flagship mm. camera, but 
it's one of the better mid-range cameras. It's it's a really, really impressive mid-range camera. And mm. of course, there's always the OnePlus thing, you're getting the software. Yeah. And I don't mm. think we've ever made any secret on the show that we love Oxygen OS mm. and we love yeah. that OnePlus software experience. And for my money, it's probably still the best Android software. I take that over the Pixel stuff mm-hmm. personally. Um, though, it, though it's a close run thing, but yeah, I think I think for the price, this is a really really excellent device. Um, and there are other mid range phones that give you really solid performance, but you've got to spend more to get the same kind of power. Uh, so we might as well mention those. The other ones that we really argued about here or came close to were the Realme GT. Mm which oh, is in yeah. that flagship killer space. Yeah. But it is cheap enough for us to consider it a mid-range device and super powerful. That is a, you know, a, an, an 8 series. Uh, it's got this wild design, really strong. It's just the camera is not as good as the Nord and the Nord is still comfortably cheaper and actually easier to buy. There's, it's got wider availability because the GT isn't out in Europe, uh, whereas the Nord 2 is, though neither of them are out in the US. So that's unfortunate. Uh, And the other one we considered was a very late edition, which is the Pixel 6, which is just $1 inside the line we consider to be a (laughs) mid-range phone. It is about as expensive as you can get. Well, we'll still call it a mid-ranger. But if you buy it on the lowest storage spec, we consider that a mid-range phone. It is an exceptional device. Again, I think the value prospect of the Nord 2 kind of won us over here. But uh, it's no secret that the Pixel 6 is an excellent phone. And finally, our flagship phone of the year. The big one. Um, The big one. I'm going to be honest, I I can't even build up suspense because this will be the least surprising choice anyone who listens to this show could imagine. It is the Galaxy Z Flip 3. Yes, I forced that one through. What a surprise. I insisted. I may have lost it on the tablet fight, but God damn it, I got my flippy, foldy boy at the top of the flagship award. Uh, you know I love this phone. Everyone knows yeah. I love this phone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not hard to see why. I, I think I used yours for about two minutes when we saw each other at an event a yeah. couple months ago, and I fell in love with it. It is such a nice phone. I love everything about it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, please tell me more as, as, as someone that used it for longer than I did. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a thousand, thousand bucks, just, a, just under a thousand pounds, which is expensive, but it's in the same space as a lot of flagship phones. It's getting the same core performance as you're going to get from them. You're getting the same kind of display quality in terms of being 120 hertz AMOLED. It's not quite up to the same standards as panels in other phones because it's got to be foldable too. But still, it's a very nice looking display with those caveats. And yeah, it folds. And that's really great. I love this clamshell form factor. It really Mm. works for me. I know other people prefer the kind of fold out to a tablet style thing. For me, this clamshell is just perfect. I love kind of being able to throw this in in my jeans pocket without it sticking out the top or sort of chuck it around my bag. It feels way more durable than the first gen. Um, Both, you know, Samsung kind of touted the fact that it's waterproof, that it's got this new armor aluminium frame, Gorilla Glass on it. But I can just personally say, I think as I said on the show before, I dropped my review unit. You know, I, I fell out of my pocket, or rather I kind of fumbled as I was removing it from my pocket. It dropped a meter or so onto a cobbled street, hit bang on these cobbles on the corner, got a little bit dented right on the hinge. It got dented right on the hinge is where it landed. Of course it did. But yeah. it still works perfectly. You know, the screen is absolutely fine. It still opens and closes perfectly. And that's about the sort of toughest endurance test I could mm. I could bear to put it through. Yeah. I obviously can't promise long-term durability. There are still question yeah. marks there for sure. Um, still on tech, that base huh? alone, it, it seems like it's improving. 
and the price is now competitive. Sure. The camera is not the best camera around. I won't make any you know apologies for that. The camera is 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 good, but you will you can definitely get a better camera at this price yeah. in other phones. If nothing is, you can get telephoto in other phones. But even the main lens, you can get far better main lenses elsewhere. And the battery life is pants. Mm. Uh, so if you're a power user, this will not be you know this will not satisfy you. But if you're a relatively light user, it is still an all day phone. Yeah. Um, anyone who uses it more intensely will probably find that the battery is a bit limited and the slow charging is annoying. So there are definitely still downsides and there's still room for Samsung to improve and I want them to improve. Um, but I love this. And Iron said when we were talking about the LG Gram that it was uh, a very rare five-star review for us and this is also a five-star review mm. from me and that is rare. Um, and I hesitated because it does have those flaws and I'm aware it's got those flaws. It's not a perfect flawless device. No. But I think it does what it wants mm. to do about as well as like, you could ask it to. And it couldn't fix those problems without compromising somewhere else. Yeah, they could have fit a bigger battery in, but then it would be bulkier mm. and it wouldn't be as sleek and portable. Um, yeah, they could have fit more, more camera lenses in, but you'd have the exact same problem. It would have to be thicker to, to incorporate better cameras. You'd have to compromise on the design, on the size of that outer cover display. And, so, and, and they wouldn't be able to hit that sub a thousand price point which i think is so much of what makes it mm, yeah. i, th I think yeah. we mentioned that's right i think we mentioned before but that this is kind of feels like the first foldable that you don't have to convince people of use cases that make the most of this yes. it's actually just yeah. a great phone and it's in that flagship great territory phone. now not way more expensive exactly it's at the same price as the others and yet there's trade-offs but there are always trade-offs when you're picking so yeah the camera and battery aren't as good but the design is much cooler and the portability is much yeah. better and people can just decide if those trails make sense for them. The same way you'd always be deciding, oh, you know, this one's got a better battery than that one, and that one's got a better camera than that one. And it's just in that conversation now in a way that it never was before. Um, and that it's already telling that that's been reflected in the sales figures. Samsung is, is selling a lot of these things. Not that that's a sign that it's good, but I think it's, it's it is a sign that it has reached people. They yeah. have the message has gone through now that that is that is the case. Uh, definitely here we should talk about the other also rands. So the big one for me actually the one that I was surprised to feel was very close to this because I am a bit of a hater. Uh, but the iPhone 13 Pro, uh. I you know I am I am probably the least Apple fan we have on the team. Maybe I don't know. I'm certainly close to it. Yeah. But. I liked the 13 Pro a lot. I was a yeah. big, big fan of this phone. I definitely think it's the best phone in the in the lineup. Um, I think fundamentally, unless you really care about the screen size thing, it's between this, the 13 and the 13 Pro, for most people, I would say jump for the Pro if you mm. can afford it. Um, 120 hertz display is great. I, you know, have always, we've always talked about this on the Android side. And yeah, it does still make a difference on iOS. And going back to a 60 hertz iPhone, I had the, the recent SE around and it immediately felt slow and stuttery mm. and laggy. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's a very fast, smooth, fluid phone. But sort of having them side by side, you can just see it and feel it. I had and, the exact uh, same thing with the iPad mini. And, you know, it's got the, yes. literally the exact same chipset in it. It runs the exact yeah. same as the iPhone does. But I was just like, oh, this is slow. I don't mm. like this. Exactly. It's very, very odd how immediately you can tell that. Um, yeah, the, a lot of stuff hasn't changed that much. The, the, the design and the, the cameras had some tweaks. Obviously, the sensors are different, but actually, I don't think there was a radical shift in camera performance year on year. And I think it's very good. I would say I think the best Androids are better still this year. 
um, certainly in sort of the low light stuff, mm. the way it handles and the way it handles H HDR, this is a tendency to really blow out big light sources, which yeah. uh, is a shame. Though that may improve, that's the kind of thing you can tweak in patches, so that may get better over time. But really, really slick piece of hardware, and they finally fixed the battery life. Uh, and I know Lewis reviewed the Pro Max and was raving about the 13 Pro Max battery life. But honestly, the Pro is also just as good. It's genuinely a two-day phone now. And See, that's, that's never well. been the case for no, an iPhone. Even the 12 Pro, which I had last year, that, that would just about get me through one day you know with yeah. average use so <clears throat> just to see those year-on-year -year games is really impressive to see and yeah like you were saying with the with the 13 pro max like it's the longest battery life i've ever had on any iphone hands down yeah. you know i can multi-day use it's just i love it I, so I, much i was really skeptical when all of the initial sort of reviewers started praising the battery life and saying how great it was and i was like ah oh, no it's just an iphone come mm. on it can't be that good you know, or being like, oh, it's just, you know, American reviewers who haven't yeah. used a lot of the good Chinese Android devices. They haven't used a Vivo or, or the Xiaomi's or the Oppo's. Then I got my 13 Pro review sample and I was like, oh, no, okay. Wow, this is, <laughs> this is genuinely really one of the best battery lives around. This is yeah. better than a lot of Android flagships. Um, so Apple, I don't know what they did because the battery is bigger, but it's not that much no, bigger. It's so a lot of this is software side um, and potentially that 120 hertz display because it also... It's the LTPO tech that drops refresh rate down as yeah. well as up. And I wonder how much of a difference that's that's making here. But either way, Apple's absolutely killed it there. Uh, and the other sort of honorable mention we had here on the flagship side, just quickly, because we are running out of time, was the Pixel 6 Pro. Now, I don't want to run on this for too long, so in a way we've already spoken about the 6. But yeah, this was another... Google came close on two awards, given the prices they were <laughs> at this year. Uh Six, the 6 Pro is really, really impressive. I've actually I've got it here because I've been playing around with, with one for, for another video that's going up soon. But it's a lovely piece of hardware. I'm not a fan of the look myself, but I know other people are. But the the camera chops are undeniable. Um, and, you know, the Material U is a lovely update to the Android sort of software aesthetic. And there's an awful lot they've got right here. I just think there's also enough little things they've got wrong. We spoke about there not being face unlock. Yeah. Um, in fact, that a lot of people have problems with the fingerprint sensor. Um, other little kind of hardware, minor hardware irritations. People have had very up and down battery life. I think we broadly saw good not battery again. life in our reviews. <laughs> but it's been very uh, split among other people. A lot of other people under MKBHD said that his battery life was terrible on it really disappointed him um so there's enough little small irritations that it couldn't quite pip the iphone or, or the flip but still uh, an excellent phone and for the price really competitive because it's competing with the pro max and the s21 yeah. ultra but costs a few hundred less than either of them uh, which is uh yeah. you know a big kudos to google for that mm. cool i think that's it do you guys have anything mm. else to say on the awards front before I we i don't think any yeah, any of we've... my Anything I reviewed was even an honourable mention. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a really harsh oh, reviewer. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that. Any tech PRs out there will be hurriedly rerouting <laughs> devices away from an iron no, who uh, to be apparently hates joy. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, no, uh, yeah, to be honest, like, obviously a lot of my stuff is on the laptop side and uh, there were like a couple of outstanding laptops this year. Um, and my, the ones I reviewed were either compromised in a few ways or really expensive that make really worth considering and then i do a lot of the gaming phones and budget phones which are kind of mediocre that aren't that don't have those standout features 
Maybe it's just bad luck, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I hear you in Iron. I'll try and get you a nicer phone for you. Hook him up. Okay, cool. Uh, I guess that's it for this week then. Yeah. Uh, we will be back next week. Um, hopefully by then, OnePlus will have announced more about this Pac-Man phone, so we might be able to talk about that. I can't they remember if they've re- said they've when, when they're point. like revealing it. Um, I think it might be next week, though. I think we might have that next week. Um, they're just going to talk. It's just an art installation. There's no actual phone. They're just going to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And then <laughs> See how long they the can tent. keep doing the drip <laughs> yeah. feed teasers. Yeah, like <laughs> test test the OnePlus promotion machine to its limits. Uh, either way, we'll be about to talk about that or, or something else. I don't know. Phone stuff. We'll figure it out. Uh, until then, thank you. Bye. And like and subscribe and all that <laughs> stuff. See you soon. Yeah. Bye.